Good morning. Welcome to the Celeste Stein Show. We are live from Nashville, Tennessee. And this morning, we're going to be talking about a very important subject, the coronavirus and social distancing. And with me today, I have two very special guests. First, Dr. David Bishop, who is a practicing dentist who has been in practice for over two decades in the greater Washington, D.C. area, and also happens to be my brother. And we also have Dr. Gerald Onuaha, who is a hospitalist and internist here in the greater Nashville area. We'd like to welcome both of you to the show, and thank you, certainly, for being on the front lines of this uh, uh, terrible virus that we've been dealing with the last couple of weeks. So I uh, commend you for the work that you're doing first and foremost. And But before I get started, I'd be remiss if I did not uh, acknowledge the fact that it's Good Friday and a very special lady's birthday. And that happens to be uh, David and, and myself, our mother, uh, is having a birthday today in Washington, D.C. So we are... Um, wanting to wish her a happy birthday before we get started. All right. So um, I want to start with you, Dr. Gerald, in uh, talking about this virus. A lot of people have questioned whether the virus is real. Um, you know, there was talk of a hoax in the very beginning. And so uh, from what you're seeing on the front lines, uh, I'd like to ask you, what, you know, is it real? We cannot hear you. I think your mic might be muted. Okay, there we go. Is that there okay? you go. You're yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, yes. ma'am. It's very real. Um, so we started hearing about COVID-19 back in December of 2019. We know that there were uh, some documented cases of pneumonia in Wuhan, China, that uh, basically spread throughout the city and then the country. So uh, around January, we started to hear it here uh, about it here in the United States and from there, I mean, we've uh, we've gotten a lot of uh, positive cases of COVID nineteen patients that are coming in with this uh, these symptoms of cough, fever, uh, shortness of breath, um, muscle aches, and things like that, and uh, some of them also dying from either COVID nineteen symptoms, which is basically uh, having uh, not enough oxygen in there body and uh, complications due to it, like from comorbid uh, diseases like diabetes, hypertension, cancers, and things like that. So it's very real. Um, hundreds of thousands of people have been uh, affected by it so far. And um, uh, what we're trying to do now is stop uh, the, basically, like we talked about flattening the curve so that uh, we can get this disease under control so that we can get back to our life. Right. Um, you mentioned those numbers. I just checked the uh, total number of cases uh, this morning worldwide is 1,622,167 oh, yeah. cases and total deaths 97,264, which unfortunately is changing by the moment. Uh, the good news, if there is any, is that uh, 365,000 250 people have actually uh, survived this virus. I wanted to move to Dr. Bishop and ask you um, if you could tell us uh, what types of things are you using, getting back to the same question of, of it being real. Um, as a, a dental professional, um, I'm sure you are seeing uh, 
you know, patients and cases uh, and, and having to deal with this very sensitive issue? Well, the main thing um, I'm noticing is, is that about a month and a half ago, uh, uh, in the state of Maryland, uh, they put out uh, pretty much a proxy saying that uh, general dentists or dentists in general um, could only see emergency patients. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's becoming um, uh, rare that we actually see as many patients actually uh, the MSDA just came out with a uh, ruling today to continue with this. How that has changed is, is that a lot of times when dealing with uh, PPE, uh, 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 personal protective equipment, uh, it's harder and harder for the dentist to actually uh, practice dentistry due to the fact that uh, the, the types of masks that we could use to protect not only myself, but also my staff. Uh, um, and when when talking about social distancing, uh, you're also dealing with the fact that uh, uh, staff also have um, uh, families that they have to protect as well. Uh, so the fact is, is that like, for, uh, for example, this morning, um, uh, to get the proper equipment, uh, you have to go to dental supply uh, companies. Those dental su supply companies over the last couple of weeks have um, reduced the amount of equipment that you could actually receive. So mm -hmm. for example, um, uh, earlier uh, a month ago, I was able to get, let's say, a case of, uh, of masks and, and gowns and um, as well as coverings for your, your shields and, and um, headgear to protect um, ourselves from not only uh, the, the virus, but also um, uh, protecting each other. Now what has happened is, is that it's gotten to the point where uh, you can only order a box of masks in 95. So uh, if I can't order the, the proper equipment, wow. I can't protect uh, my staff or myself. So then it uh, comes a, a point, now you have to refer your own, your, your patients to places where they, they can get the proper treatment. So then you have to check do the hospitals have the ability to do uh, dentistry at those particular locations. And uh, that's where the dilemma comes in because even though uh, Dr. Gerald probably uh, was trained to uh, treat every part of the uh, body mm -hmm. and actually uh, physicians can treat the mouse, but I don't know if I would want him extracting my tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to extract it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that uh, brings up some some serious issues. Um, and one that was very interesting was the, the point of social distancing, uh, because I'm getting that a lot of people don't really understand that. I, I think they said, stay six feet away. That's about all, you know, you really heard, especially initially. Yeah, and yeah. so I want to get into what that actually means, because um, we have an exorbitant number of cases in African-American and Hispanic communities. And so we're obviously not quite getting what that means. And so um, Dr. Gerald, if you'd like to jump in and talk about. Oh, yes, ma'am. So explain when, that, please. Yes, <laughs> so when we talk about social distancing, uh, what we're saying is you want to intentionally increase the space between you and another person. And right now we're saying six feet is the distance that you should stay away from 
uh, another person. But that also means some other things too. That means that if you have, uh, especially people that work, if you have any meetings, any in-person meetings that are not essential, you should uh, cancel them and reschedule them for a later date. School, as you can see now, schools are out. Many restaurants are closed. Malls, movie theaters, and things like that are are closed. And it's because we think that this social distancing is what's going to help us flatten the curve of the coronavirus. And what we mean by that is right now, the number of cases in coronavirus are growing uh, substantially. And what we don't want to do is we don't want the healthcare system to get overwhelmed by the amount of uh, COVID-19 cases that come into the hospital, leaving there no, no way that patients that actually need care can get bed. So with social distancing, what that's supposed to do is to basically uh, uh, allow the people who have the disease to uh, either recover from it or get care, and the people who don't have the disease not get the disease at all. And so that's what we want to make sure that we try to do. And that doesn't mean, uh, because we say social distancing, that doesn't mean, oh, well, I can't just leave my house for the next 14 days, the next month. Uh, What that means is whatever is essential, you should do it, do it swiftly, do it responsibly, but everything else should probably be canceled. So if you have to go to the grocery store to pick up food because you don't have any food in your home, then that's that's an essential thing. I think that you should do that. If you're not feeling well and you want to go to the to the doctor to get checked out, make sure you call them first. But also, I think that that's an okay thing to do. So I, I think uh, when we talk about the distancing of, uh, of ourselves, we want to make sure that we are not, one, spreading the disease or catching the disease and that we're allowing the healthcare system to... Uh, comfortably deal with the problems that we ha- that we have right now. Yeah, and that that's so important because I have talked to uh several people who've mm-hmm. almost been afraid to go to the doctor if they yes, have ma'am. a symptom uh especially in the African American community. Yes ma'am. Um, there's a lot of lack of trust uh and and they're extremely ill it, it, in some cases and not you know wanting to go in even to get checked out. So what yeah. would you say to those people? So, uh, so I think that there, there's a spectrum of how COVID-19 affects uh, people. And so if you're a young person like me, um, I'm in my mid thirties. Uh, I, I don't have any comorbidities, no chronic diseases. I don't take any medication. I would likely uh, recover from COVID-19. But if you are more elderly, you have comorbidities or chronic uh, illnesses like diabetes or high blood pressure, uh, some type of obstructive lung disease, then the, the the virus will likely affect you a little bit differently. And so those people tend to get ill and they get ill fast. Now, if you're just having, uh, you know, cold-like symptoms, cough, fever, but you can control it, I think that you can quarantine yourself and in your house for 14 days until it blows over. However, if you get to a point where you can't control your fever, and you're having shortness of breath, and you have an uncontrollable cough, I think that's a reason to come into the hospital. And I don't know if you, if we've seen the numbers that African Americans are being affected more than any other demographic in uh, the United States. And, and I think that's because of a multitude of reasons. Uh, one of which, there are a lot more cor- comorbidities in the African American community. So uh, what I mean by that is a lot more pay, uh, people uh, have 
high blood pressure, the diabetes, and like I said, the lung disease. And also historically, there have been uh, times where there's been in, uh, implicit uh, biases against African-Americans, discrimination, disenfranchisement. Uh, those things also play a role within uh, what has happened over time with the healthcare system. So uh, there's some barriers there outside of the, the COVID-19 uh, uh, disease that after this, we definitely have to address as, as a nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to uh, switch to Dr. Bishop to talk about um, what it's like uh, for patients who might have a dental issue, because, you know, a lot of people are thinking if, um, even if it's something serious, that, that they're kind of being told, well, stay at home if you can. Um, how do you know when you should actually go see a doctor other than your primary care provider, like your dentist, what types of situations are we talking about that would be considered um, extreme enough to to warrant going in uh, to see your dentist? Okay, well, uh, the main thing is, is that what is a true dental emergency? A true dental emergency is usually when you have pain. Pain, what is the classification of pain? Uh, uh, usually we use a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most severe pain. If, if you have a pain usually above a five, usually that's um, an indication that you need to seek some type of uh, dental treatment. Um, now what a lot of dentists, dentists are doing at this point, uh, there's uh, teledentistry and telemedicine as well. And what that means is, is that we have the ability and there's a couple of websites actually I was um, looking at today where you could actually um, communicate with your patients via what we're doing, uh, the internet, where uh, it's a, a secure line, uh, which is HIPAA regulated, where uh, your, your information is secured on, on a, a specific line, and we could actually communicate, you could show pictures, you could actually use your camera to uh, take a snapshot of uh, what the problem is. And a lot of times you can um, uh, uh, treat by medications, pain, antibiotics, things of that nature, as well as um, uh, get an idea if this is a true emergency by asking the, uh, uh, your patient, uh, is this a, uh, what type of emergency this is. Yeah, uh, when so they temp- should definitely call in first and foremost, if they're experiencing pain, uh, you know, whatever that may be, you know, a a cavity or what have you, if if they feel pain, they need to go ahead and give you a call. Yeah, please give us a call. Well, uh, uh, your patient should give you a call. Um, uh, We've been communicating via uh, text as well as uh, uh, my patients still can get in contact with me. So um, like, for example, I had a patient today who gave me a call. She had a, a abscess forming. I have access to her records um, through my computer. So I was able to assess, determine what was going on and actually treat her via an, an antibiotic. However, um, last Monday, I, I went in and we actually uh, did a, uh, we did uh, do a root canal on a particular patient and, and got her out of pain. So um, at this point, absolutely, you should. Um, uh, address anything that is uh, to the point where you have that type of pain, which I mean like above a five, and, and have it treated. Um, 
If you can't get access to uh, your primary dentist, uh, call your primary care physician as well. Uh, they could still prescribe antibiotic. Or um, if you know that it's a possible root canal, there are uh, specialists to take care of that, as well as oral surgeons can, that can also uh, remove teeth that most likely have uh, protective um, equipment to um, address your needs. Have you had to go in a lot uh, or a couple of times since this has occurred? Yeah, I've had to come in a couple of times. I've done um, mainly root canals, um, uh, no surgeries as of yet. But actually, I, I did have a five-year-old who, um, who actually uh, needed a tooth extracted, and I had to refer him to an oral surgeon because he needed to be sedated. So uh, no surgical procedures, but just uh, root canals. Okay. Um, I want to go back to Dr. Gerald, too. I wanted to ask you, can yeah. you explain uh, what the co coronavirus or COVID-19 is? I understand it's part of a family of viruses. So yes, I want you to kind of talk about that and what actually happens to the body. What happens to someone experiencing that? Yes, ma'am. So uh, coronavirus is, uh, or COVID-19 is a part of the coronavirus. Corona meaning crown, which means this is a virus that has basically a membrane around it. It looks like a crown and, and it's normally uh, seen in animals. Uh, every uh, epidemic or pandemic that's been, uh, that we've seen that has dealt with coronavirus has been from the transmission of, a, uh, of an animal. Uh, with COVID-19, we're not exactly sure which animal um, has caused COVID-19, but we're thinking that it's a it's, there's a possibility that it could be a bat. But anyway, whenever you contract the disease, we're, we're under the belief that it's, uh, it's transmitted through uh, droplets. So what that means is if a person coughs on you or sneezes on you, then there's a possibility that you could get the disease. Um, there are some uh, some theories that uh, coronavirus may also be aerosolized, uh, but I haven't seen anything to actually confirm that. But so when when you get contracted with coronavirus, uh, it takes about two to fourteen days for it to for for you to actually show symptoms if you are going to show symptoms. And uh, what patients mainly feel is one: uh, a lot of patients have fever, um, and uh, two cough. Uh, shortness of breath, and muscle aches. So it's kind of similar to the flu. But the problem with coronavirus is it, it's a, it, you can uh, get it a little, it's a little more delicate uh, than the flu. Like you can, it's more infectable. Uh, so, and the death rate is a little bit higher. So the death rate for the flu is about 0.1%. And uh, coronavirus is about 1%. So that translates into it being about 10 times more deadlier than the flu. Uh, wow. Yes, ma'am. So uh, like I said, so about two to 14 days is how long it takes for you to start showing signs and symptoms and, and actually over uh, recover from it too. And uh, yes, ma'am. So that's about it. Mm -hmm. I noticed there's so many people that still will not stay home. I've had to go out a you know, very minimally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I've, I've gone to like the grocery store and I tried to go because they said, you know, go early in the morning, you know, yes, and 
there were more cars in the parking lot than I've ever seen at like 7 a.m. I couldn't believe it. So the other day I switched it up and I went later and there were like seven people in the store. So of course all the shelves were mainly clear, but I still got what I needed, you know? Um, But, um, you know, I think sometimes um, that's got to be um, not a good thing for there to be that many people in, in any store because you're close in close proximity. But now yeah. they've relaxed the guidelines about wearing the, the mask. Of course, the problem is most people don't have a mask. Um, but so they're saying, you know, any type of face covering. Um, what What is, is that something you're in favor of? Uh, people wearing masks. What about gloves? Like, what should? How should you equip yourself <laughs> if you go to the store? Well, so, like I said in the beginning, uh, you know, only doing the things that are essential is probably the most beneficial way to prevent yourself from getting COVID nineteen. So, the CDC has put out information now that says that you know they recommend that people wear a mask, and I've seen a couple of YouTube channels where people are teaching people how, how to, to make, make masks them. at home. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Um, so. The, the, the mask does two things. One, it prevents a person that has COVID-19 from, from actively spreading it uh, everywhere into everyone. So it's, it's keeping uh, your droplet particles, I guess, in-house, if, uh, without a better word to, to say. And also, of course, I mean, you another person can cover up themselves so that they are not breathing in COVID-19 particles and things like that. So I do think that it is beneficial. Um, so, uh, about the gloves, I think the gloves, um, if you have them, it's okay to wear them, but I think that washing your hands and sanitizing your hands is, is, is the way to go. And cause even if you wear gloves, when you take them off, you still need to clean your hands after you do everything that, that you're doing. So keeping hand sanitizer with you, uh, that has more than 60% alcohol content, washing your hands, uh, in hot water with soap for more than 20 seconds. Those are the things that, that have been proven to kill the, the virus from off of uh, your hands. So I think that uh, the PPE, the, the masks are okay. The gloves is, uh, if you have them, you can wear them. But washing your hands is definitely the number one thing to see essential. But, you oh. know, I know they warned everybody not to use the N95 mask because they were so needed by health professionals. So, mm-hmm. um the question, uh, you know, uh, would be, you know, if you have an N95 mask, um, you know, should you wear it at this point? Well, so that's a very good question. I, I can't, I can't tell a person <laughs> what to wear, what not to wear. Uh, but most N95 masks are reserved for healthcare workers and, uh, there are some other industries that do use N95 masks, but I think uh, in in the, the mainstream or general population, those are for the healthcare workers. But if you have a mask and it just so happens to be an N95, I, I can't tell you don't wear that because that's, uh, you know, as far as masks go, those are the, the best masks to wear to prevent you from getting COVID-19. But uh, the CDC is recommending that you wear uh, you know, cover up your mouth and your nose, and and those seem to be uh, pretty beneficial, also. But I mean, it is true. The N95 mask is the best mask that you can wear. Mm-hmm. Did you can have I something to add? Yes, yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, um, from what I've read as well, uh, with the N95, please make sure that you wear it properly because I went out to the store yesterday, mm-hmm. and most people had it right at the tip of their nose because what you're trying to do is create a <laughs> 
create a feel <laughs> around your, your face because pretty much the 95 uh, represents the percentage of what's getting through the mask. I mean, um, what's not getting through the mask is 5% uh, that is getting into the mask. So making sure that you have the proper uh, uh, seal around the mask and that you're wearing it correctly. Uh, I'm pretty sure the CDC, if you have an N95, please read the directions and make sure that you're, you're wearing it properly. Also with the face mask, um, make sure that you're, um, after using it, wash it. Wash your mask after you use it. I didn't even thought every, about that. Right. <laughs> so every time that you wear the mask, um, put it in the washing machine. Yeah. Mm. You know, so you could have your, make sure that your mask is clean. So um, another thing I was, um, I was talking to my mother-in-law who I haven't seen in about a, uh, uh, two months, just like uh, my, my own mother. Um, uh, I, we were talking about mail. And the thing is, is that with mail, um, she said, well, I check my mail every day. I said, well, if the mail carrier has gone to someone 20 houses before who had Corona and they touched their mailbox, they have transmitted it to the next person, to the next person, the person after that. Mm -hmm. So the key is, is that um, do you um, take your mail in and, and read it or do you leave it outside in a plastic bag or inside your house or the garage for 24 hours because they've shown that with paper that, um, and Dr. Gerald can, um, can, I'm sure testify, but I, I'm pretty sure that it stays on paper for 24 hours if, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. So you um, want to keep it in that area, let that, um, let it stay in the bag and then check your mail after that period of time. Okay. Um, I think I'm going to give out the phone number for some call-ins. I think we have a caller on the line. Uh, if anyone would like to call in and ask uh, particular questions, um, the number to dial is 888-627-6008. That number again is 888-627-6008. So feel free to call in and ask your questions to Dr. Gerald and, and Dr. Bishop on the coronavirus. And I'm going to uh, see if we can take the first caller. Um, we're going to see if we can, we can go and open the line to hear uh, the first caller. Hello? Hello, is Matthew Knowles. Uh, is this the Matthew Knowles, uh, as in Beyonce's daddy? <laughs> as in Beyonce and Solange's daddy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, you my, my wife and I, we're here in Houston, Texas. Uh, we have a stay at home uh, in effect here in Houston uh, because of some previous health issues for me. I, uh, I'm really being very careful and staying at home uh, whenever and as much as necessary, which is 98% of the time. Wow. Uh, so did you have a question uh, for one of our two outstanding uh, doctors on the front lines here today? Well, I, I just have a comment. First of all, I, I like to thank them for the information. I uh, just got on about three or four minutes ago. Uh, I, I learned something. I, I didn't know that you could uh, actually clean a wash, wash the N95. Uh, I was actually 
stowing those away. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to know uh, that you can put them in a washing machine. I had no idea. Uh, so I thank you very, very much for that uh, as my supply is almost uh, to zero. Wow. So are you having to stay in a lot? Are you, are you able to get out and about uh, at all um, because of the... the I, I'm the certainly, uh, from a, a physical standpoint, you know, a little context. You, you know, in July, I, I, I had what I call male chest cancer. Uh, others call it breast cancer, male breast cancer. I prefer not to use that word for men. Uh, and then we found that I had a BRCA mutation, uh, and, and rather than get into all of that, the, the bottom line is that I'm at higher risk. Uh, I, I, I'm mentally, I'm not affected mentally by staying at home. Some people are anxious; they want to get out. I'm fortunate where my wife and I live. We have a patio we can sit on and get some fresh air. So I'm just being safe. Uh, why take a risk when you don't have to? So I'm being safe. Uh, and I, I hope others would do that. I, I just don't understand why some people are taking a risk and not taking it serious. Yeah. Um, what, what are you hearing within the community, though? Um, it, you know, I think initially it was like, I felt like people weren't really taking it seriously. I mean, I saw people moving around and about as usual, especially in the African-American community. Well, I think the, the challenge that happened, I'm 30 years in entertainment means you, you get a, uh, a college degree in media and understanding how the media uh, works and operate. Uh, they've uh, misinformed in the very beginning to have a lot of black folks to think uh, we were immune to, to this coronavirus. And that was a mis big, big mistake. Uh, so I think we are paying the price, unfortunately. When we look at, in America, one in, uh, we're, we represent one in, the, in 10 Americans, black folks, yet this coronavirus is one in two black folks. Uh, and it goes back to what I've been saying for years because I did 20 years of diagnostic imaging in my corporate career. Uh, we lead the mortality in heart disease, cancer, diabetes, Yes, sir. Obesity. I can go on and on. Uh, and, and Black America just never woke up uh, to that. And I hope we do now. I hope this is an opportunity for us to make changes in our lives. Yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, because I, I, you know, in some cases, I feel like um, it's kind of starting to sink in and I don't know the, the, uh, you two can chime in as well. Um, I feel like it's finally starting to sink in that, Hey, I've got to kind of stay home, but I still know folks from talking to my, my own children that are doing non-essential items, you know, and, and running around. Yeah. Yes, I, I'll chime in for a second. And, uh, Mr. Knowles, thank you for calling in. I just want to make one, um, one statement about, uh, cleaning your mask. So most of the, the masks that we're talking about that you can throw into the wash machine are the cloth masks that you make at home. Uh, you can clean the P, uh, the N95, but I wouldn't put it in the washing machine. Uh, I think that that might disrupt the integrity of the actual mask. 
but you yep. can clean it with your with your sanitizers and things like that and and I think that you can reuse them until they're basically soiled. Now, when it comes to the uh, African-American community and us getting COVID-19, I think you're absolutely right. We make up one, one, tenth, uh, one out of 10 in the, uh, in the nation and we're getting it and, uh, at, uh, you know, basically 50%. I think that there was some media that talked about whether or not um, African-Americans were immune to the, to the uh, COVID-19 virus which we know now is not uh, uh, not the case. Um, uh, another thing that I think is affecting African-Americans is that implicit bias that I talked about uh, a little earlier, where, you know, there are some barriers within the healthcare system that have, you know, uh, you know increased or contributed to the increase of comorbidities like diabetes, uh, hypertension, things like that, because African-Americans are just not getting care. Um, but I've had conversations with millennials like myself about this, uh, about this issue. And we know that this thing is going on. And some of the things that I think are important is for the black community themselves to come together and recognize that this is an issue and not only recognize that this is an issue, we also need to come up with a plan to how we're going to address it from here on out. I think that COVID-19 exposed that we have this, uh, healthcare problem within our communities. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? I think that in the past, uh, we have waited on outside institutions to tell us what we should or should not do as far as moving our own personal health forward. And I think that this is one of those times where we need to try to take responsibility for what it is that we wanna do and go with that. Yes, a very, very good point. Um, but I will say that I was surprised to see so many people like on the beaches. I mean, yeah. this hit right before spring break. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure that added to the numbers. Um, yeah, would and you I like do- to talk about the numbers? I, I heard it was like 18 to 49. Those cases kind of shot up since that point. Yes, ma'am. And, you know, I, you know, I'm a young man, so I, can understand why the younger generation wanted to, you know, enjoy their spring break and enjoy, you know, the time that they get off and go to the beach and things like that. Uh, I think that there was some problems with media and trying to get that word out in an efficient manner. And I think that that played a role in, uh, you know, what we, what we were doing in the, and it, it interrupted the, the goals that we were trying to accomplish. But now that I, now that people are talking about it, we're talking about it collectively. I'm talking about it in my groups. I'm talking about it in my organizations and the fraternities and things like that. We are now starting to see people getting on board with knowing that they should socially distance themselves from, you know, and not do anything that's non-essential. So we are catching up. Took us a little time, especially because, you know, when you're young, you feel like, you know, I, if you know, it's not going to get me or if it gets me, it's not going to be bad. But we now know that 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 thing isn't true. There's been data that has come out that has shown that, you know, there there was an increased amount of younger individuals that were getting hospitalized and needing uh, critical care management. And so I think people are reading that and saying, okay, maybe maybe this spans not just this doesn't just span the elderly population, but also it spans the younger 
population too. So uh, I think that the young people are wising up and, and, you know, us just keep, you know, continuing to talk about it is going to help us uh, and make sure, make sure that we we're doing the things that we think are responsible for the betterment of our community. So. Okay. I'm going to, I see we have. May I make a comment on that? Oh, certainly. Certainly. Go ahead. I, I totally agree with the, the young man at 68, everybody's young. Uh, um, <laughs> you, you, you know, I think, I think what's really, really important for our young people to understand uh, that it's not about them as much yes, sir. as it is. It's not about them as much as they can kill me. For sure. Yes, sir. By being oh, out yeah. on the beach and then going home or going to the grocery store it's not about them. This is about, they're, they're fortunate. The, the percentage is extremely low. We don't want anybody to die with this. But for young, young people, it, it's extremely low. But it's about what they do once they have it and how they could affect their parents and their grandparents. Yes, sir. Right, because, uh, you know, there's that huge the messaging. lag. Oh, yes, yeah, sir. Absolutely. And so in talking to the my colleagues and people my age, that's the, the main thing that I bring up. So the likelihood of me, um, you know, having to be hospitalized or dying from COVID-19 is relatively low. However, me going out, getting the, the, the disease and then passing it to my grandmother who is uh, in her 80s, has some comorbid uh, diseases, then at, at that point it becomes an issue because, yes, I, I should be able to fight it off, but it's going to be much harder for my grandma to do so. So that's a, um, that's a really good point. All right. Dr. Knowles, can you stand by? And, and you guys, we have uh, Debbie calling in from Atlanta, Georgia, on line two. Uh, Debbie, you, if you would like to go forward with your question, we'd uh, like to hear it. Hello. Hello, Dr. Bishop. How are you? I, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> right. I've listened to you for over 30 plus years, and you've done a great job. I just want to say that before I ask my question. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I'm basically piggy piggybacking on everything everybody has said. I was almost out of gas and sitting here watching the news. I said, well, in the event of an emergency, I don't want my vehicle to sit there with not a lot of gas. So I said, I'm going to go fill my tank up and I'll just feel better. That's just how I, I operate. I was appalled at the number of people, just like everybody else has said already, that were out and the number of people that were pumping gas, no mask, no gloves, no nothing. The black community has a responsibility in all of this. Yes, we're disproportionately affected. However, we're not doing our part to stay healthy. Um, mm. The majority of the people that I saw out today were black and none of them had masks, none of them had gloves, and I still see pictures on social media of large groups of blacks congregating together. So yes, the news is correct, and you know, we can cry foul and all that stuff about the disproportionate number of blacks, but we're not doing our part. That's just my opinion. What do you think, Dr. Bishop? 
uh, well, I, I would like to um, kind of I will commend you on bringing that point up because first of all, uh, we do have a sincere responsibility. Every individual who is part of this great country, you know, needs to take this seriously and we all need to do our part in doing those things that we can do so that we can get back to normal. The sooner, the more we do now, the sooner we will all be able to get back to normal. Um, and I don't know if you guys uh, have want to chime in on that, but I think that's so important that we pay attention to those things that we can do. And we also have a responsibility to become educated on what we should be doing versus what we shouldn't, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to have this discussion. And I, I really appreciate all of you uh, coming on and, and your questions. Um, did you all want to add anything? Yeah, um, I, I'd like to comment on that because communication is power. And one thing that I've, I've noticed, like, um, uh, for example, the governor of uh, Florida just came out and said that no young people die from Corona in the United States. And that was, right. that was a falsity. That was, that was not correct. And so the thing is, is that it, if you don't have the proper information, you can't make the proper decisions as well. And we're getting too many, um, uh, uh, we have too many people giving us too much information that is incorrect. And when you have incorrect information, you can't make the proper decision. Uh, when, when you have a governor of a state say, um, um, and you see all these kids on, on these Florida beaches and they think it's okay to be there, but he's saying, well, you know, it's okay. Or we're not putting any, we're not putting out any mandates to say that you shouldn't be on the beach. That's not proper information. They just actually, um, I think it was CNN that just came out and they, they showed, um, all of the, um, the, uh, pings from, uh, cell phones. And within a day, once those kids got on planes, how many other states were affected by that? And then what happened is they went back to their schools, then they went back to their states once uh, they had to, had to leave their own schools. And it was several states. It looked like it was about 15 or 16 uh, states that were affected just by um, letting these kids go to Florida mm -hmm. and affecting everybody else. So uh, as Dr. Knowles was saying, um, with the, the fact that um, these kids are affecting everybody, uh, it, it's true. And, but we also have to, um, we have to be in charge of this information and, and deciphering what is proper information and what is um, incorrect information. Right. That is such a good point because I'm sure uh, everyone listening and you all have seen all kinds of things that have come across Facebook or your other social media sites um, that some of it is completely false. Mm -hmm. But some people don't know and they're taking some of this as, as truth. And I agree 100% as a communicator. I don't ever like it when I hear mixed messages. And from the beginning, there have been a lot of mixed messages that you know, uh, and, and I, I, I will just say, I think one of the latest things is that, you know, uh, you know, so we will begin to get back to work, you know, fairly soon. But what do you all think about that? Like, um, I heard Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, who's one of the leading experts on this and HIV, I heard him say 
that the virus actually sets the curve. We don't, like we can't just say, we're gonna go back here. So what do you all think about that? Dr. Gerald? Uh, yes, ma'am. So I think Dr. Fauci is right. Um, the the virus is gonna gonna be the determining factor for the curve. And you know, I understand that the government and uh, the country has uh, the desires to open up the the country and get people back to work. And I I would like to see that too. But I just want to make sure that we are safe at doing it and that we're making sure that uh, we are flattening that curve and that people can safely go back out into the communities uh, without having to get sick, be hospitalized, and or even something worse. And, and as you mentioned that, you feel like the hospitals are catching up? Do you all feel like uh, things are leveling out? And I know some smaller communities have actually lost hospitals. Those hospitals have completely closed yeah. down. So but are, are we catching up? Yes, ma'am. So for most places, the peak has not hit yet. Um, there's There's been some data that, that has come out that is suggesting that there are uh, that there may have been a peak in New York, but we're not exactly sure if that's the, the case yet. But for most of the country, the peak has not come yet. Okay. Um, Dr. Thank Gerald. you for your question, Debbie. Yeah. Uh, did you want to add something, Dr. Bishop? Yeah, yes, I have a question for Dr. Gerald. Yes, sir. If you don't have the proper testing for all the states, how do you know if, if we're at the peak or not? Or when are we going to get to the peak if all the states don't have the correct um, test. Well, so, yes, sir. I mean, these, these are data points uh, that we are predicting from a model. And yes, I mean, the fact is that the, the, we don't have, you know, an infinite amount of tests, but based off of the people that we have test and uh, the increase in incidences that we've seen with COVID-19, we're predicting it from that, um, you know, Every state has a different amount of tests. Uh, there's a different different time frame in which it comes back and things like that. So we are doing the the best that we can to predict, uh, and and so we're just going with with that. Okay, um, I'm gonna uh, put you on pause for a second. We have another caller calling in. Uh, Queen Alfred uh, is Queen on the line yet? Yes, I am. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Great. Thanks for calling in. No problem. I had a question, and I think it would kind of shift the conversation. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know what suggestions do you guys have for millennials? Because I myself am a millennial, and I know a lot of people are getting prepared to graduate. A lot of people can't. A lot of people are going into the health industry. So. What suggestions do you guys have for millennials who are going through this pandemic, especially those entering the health industry? Good question. Who wants to take a stab at that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, well um, no, you can start, Gerald. No, and no, then no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Um, if, um, it was hard for me to understand, but she was saying uh, about, um, about the uh, kids that are um, – Millennials. They're millennials that are getting out and coming out of school. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, are, go ahead. You can you can state your question. So, what suggestions do you guys have for millennials who are going through this pandemic, especially those entering the health industry? Okay. Well, 
actually my wife is um, in the next room and she's teaching uh, a dental school class right now as we speak. And one of the dilemmas she teaches at Howard University uh, Dental School, and one of the uh, uh, problems that they're having is, is that this semester is pretty much blown up. And what has happened is, is that um, they're trying to figure out, do they, these, this last semester, they're not able to go into the clinics because they also have to protect uh, the students as well as the patients that are coming through. She's actually um, in charge of uh, infectious disease for the school itself. And, and um, right now uh, they're, they're doing tele, um, telecommunication and they're doing uh, case studies and things like that. So they're able to still go to school and it's gonna be based on pass fail at this point. But uh, in years past, when we had uh, World War II and um, we weren't able, and uh, the, the students were finishing up their last semesters, they actually uh, uh, let these students finish and they went on the front lines and started practicing uh, uh, right then and there. Um, this isn't our first pandemic. This won't be our last pandemic because the last one started, I mean, the Spanish flu was uh, World War I. Yes, and uh, life went on. We just have to um, figure out this as we go on day by day. But um, it, it's affecting our students to a certain point. But um, we we will get through this. Yes, sir. And I think that, um, well, in the African-American community, not a lot of us are going into uh, the health field. And um, I just remember when I graduated from dental school back in 91, I went to Howard University Dental School, and uh, out of a class of approximately 60, only six African-American males were in my class. So one thing we, we have to do as a community is reinvest in our students to make sure uh, that, we, um, that this is still a, a, a great field to go into, and, um, and it's a safe field to go into. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Did you want to sure. add to that, uh, yeah. Gerald? Yeah, so I am a millennial also. I, I also was thrown into this COVID-19 uh, crisis. I just graduated from residency back in uh, July. It's a different time. And uh, what I've learned so far as a millennial is there, there are things that I have to do differently. I have to spend my money differently. I need to always read up and be abreast about the things that are going on and not just in my immediately my immediate peripheral. And so uh, that I think those things help. Now, as far as going into the healthcare field, learning as much as you can about what you're doing and learning about the crisis, I think is important. And, and as a healthcare professional, I think it's very important for you as a millennial to spread the word and educate your peers about what's going on also. Because I think that that thing will help us, uh, you know, uh, one, uh, flatten that curve. And then two, make sure that there are less African-Americans that are getting these diseases, whether it's from you having your own uh, chronic disease or you giving it to one of your family members that do have those diseases or are a little older than you. Yeah, great points, great points, because um, sometimes we think we are invincible the younger we are, and as we as we get older, we realize that's just not the case and that we do have to do things to 
uh, take care of ourselves and take care of the ones that we love. You know, you want mom and dad and your grandparents to be around for, you know, a long time. So we must definitely think about that. So thank you for your question. I think with age comes uh, comes wisdom, so. <laughs> We'd like to think so. <laughs> anyway, um, thank you, Queen, for your question. I appreciate that. I think um, uh, Dr. Knowles is, is still on the line as well, and I actually wanted to kind of come back to him. Dr. Knowles, are you on the, are, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi there. I, uh, I know being in the music industry with some of the types of things that, that you do and uh, uh, Beyonce and Solange, uh, you know, how has this been um, having to kind of isolate, you know, people who go on tour and make their living that way? Um, has it completely within the industry kind of turned things upside down? Well, I, I, will, I will answer that, but I briefly just want to make a comment about the caller statement. I mean, calling, which was a great, great question. I am a college professor. This is my 12th year. I teach this semester at Prairie View A&M. I only teach the first half of every semester at Prairie View. Uh, I I just hope anyone, any young person in school, listen just for a second. You know, in my first book, I talk about mistakes uh, is an opportunity to grow, Mm -hmm. not a reason to quit. I always tell my students, learn. You know, we have a tendency, our young people have a tendency to want to wait, wait to turn their assignment in, wait to go and apply for internship. People that are successful don't wait. And there's a sense of urgency in with people that are successful. And unfortunately, if I'm a college student, I should have my job now if I'm graduating. You should right. have that right now. And, yeah. and let that be a lesson. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But well, to your question point. about the music industry, um, you know, I, I'm humble and I'm grateful uh, in the streaming part, and that's where the majority of our revenue is. Uh, there's about a 20 to 30 percent increase. However, because there there's no touring, there's no new movies, there's no new TV shows, the licensing of songs in those uh, has gone down about 15 percent. Uh, so, you know, every, you know, always and it's just the history of man time, and it's very unfortunate uh, when there's a catastrophe, entertainment numbers seem tend to go up, and music numbers especially, uh, because we want to get away uh, from what's around us, and we do that often through music. Right. But unfortunately, we can't do things like go to the movies and other things that we like to do. Um, so it's, it's but an I think interesting the solution, time. But I think the solution, again, I did 20 years of diagnostic imaging, selling MRI and neurosurgical specialists and uh, zero radiography. I, I know this for a fact that people are diligently working really hard because the solution is, think about it. If you're going to any event, going to even class, I I think what the future will look at, like it's, there will be a device 
at the door that you'll be tested in seconds. It will only be people in that event that have been tested in seconds. And then we can feel safe. Yeah. If I'm going to a Beyonce concert and everybody, <laughs> and it has to be everybody was tested, uh, and everybody was negative, then everyone's safe. Right. Those are things that I've, I've wondered about too. Um, you know, we, we could be sort of easing back into it. Those people who've had the virus. And I mean, I, I think if Dr. Gerald wants to chime in on this or Dr. Bishop, um, if we maybe took temperatures before people went out, made sure that people are wearing face coverings and things like that, that perhaps the right mask, the N95s, that perhaps we could sort of slowly ease back into some sense of normalcy. Uh, yes, ma'am. So um, I'm not sure what we mean by normalcy. It uh, probably will I, never I be, think, right? Think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think after, this, after COVID-19, uh, there's going to be a new normal. And that may look like us screening uh, people to make sure they're not having temperatures or things like that, or some type of advancement with uh, fluorescent light, like Dr. Noses is referring to. That, that may indicate that a person is is ill. Um, but um, how we were three months ago, we probably probably won't be that way three months from now. Uh, I think that there will be provisions in place where we will be making sure that people are not in uh, large crowds that are ill. Yeah, all great points. And I think we're coming to the close of the time that we have. I would like to thank you, Dr. Bishop, you, Dr. Gerald, and also uh, Matthew Knowles for calling in great um, information and points that we gleaned out of this. And hopefully um, we will come out of it stronger as people, as a community, and we'll be able to uh, get back to work and uh, stay encouraged. So thank you for all that everyone is doing. Yes. I just want to make, I'm a millennial, so I'm going to make one shameless plug to Dr. Nose. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to give us some Jay-Z and Beyonce tickets, we definitely will. Uh, <laughs> 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 I had to put that out there. <laughs> I'm not mad at you, brother. I'm not mad. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. And uh, we'll, I hope you'll tune in next time, two weeks from now, on Friday morning at 11 a.m. Thanks so much for watching. I appreciate you. This is the Celeste Stein Show signing out. Bye-bye.